All you have to do, take a 10% stake in a company and write tweets that don't make any sense. And between the two of those things, your stock goes viral. Man, some oh, of these man. guys Put your have, 10Ks uh... down. Put your 10Ks down, <laughs> stop reading the 10Ks, and start crafting Emperor's New Clothes style tweets. This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Dougals, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. How you doing this week, mon frere? Good, man. 82's been on the mind this week. 82. Oh, number 82? Yeah. Got okay. any ideas? I've, I have so many ideas. Nothing about 82, though. Some max going, drawdown in the NASDAQ in the, in the early 2000s, Oof. man. You got to right. keep it in the back of your head at all times. That? Why is that? Uh, so I listened to Grantham, my boy, and Matt <laughs> yes. Faber, who's also my boy, um, oh. this week. They, they did one 12 months ago, and they, they just did a new pod this week. And I love Grantham. He's a perma bear, but he's super smart, super well-researched. And so they're talking about what has happened in the last 12 months, especially in the last six months with uh, tech stock drawdowns and how there may be some parallels. I mean, everyone reaches, they, they say there's not perfect parallels to like 2000, 2001, but how there may be some parallels. And the talk there is like, yeah, but there, even though there's significant drawdowns, a lot of these stocks are down 60%. There might still be a long way to go, Douglas. So I just like that frame of reference. 82 has been on the mind for me. Yeah, and even if you, to your point, some parallels, you don't have to make full parallels, but it's it's good to learn, look at and learn from history. And the thing that is often forgotten, right? We say this to each other every now and again as reminders, but the thing I think it's often forgotten is if you buy something 80% down and it goes to 90% down, what just happened? Yeah, you got cut in half and that's called uh, catching falling knives. And I like to do that. Oh, you um, love it. I, I just, uh, <laughs> yeah, I do love it. Um, man, there are some cheap stocks cool. out there. We could not say that a year plus ago when we started the show. No. I felt like there was nothing, and there is some cheapness out there. Yeah. Now it's probably fall the falling knife variety. It, it could be, but you know, uh, the thing with falling knives for us is we got that nationwide situation going on with time. You know what I mean? Yeah. What is nationwide? Oh, it's a great insurance company, Douglas. Yeah, but specifically from the jingle, nationwide is on your side. <laughs> Just like with time for us, right? Because you can catch something that in the moment is a falling knife. It drops. But if we're like, we, we could hold this for years, then what it's going to do over this next period, like it could drop in half or it could go up, but you just have to be really careful with it, right? Because yeah, a long-term time horizon changes the game. Exactly. Um, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Speaking of like falling knives, I wasn't going to go here, but let me give you one stat. I had some time to catch up on uh, 10Ks, 20Ks, you name it, 10Ks this week uh, for some of my holdings where I'd, I'd done a once through the 10K before I made the purchase, but then I was able to do a deeper dive uh, this time around. One of my favorite stats to come out of this is just blows my mind with Baba, who continues to just fall off a cliff, man. That thing is going down. It's 88. Baba. Last I saw it. Baba. Oh, it's my goodness. Like the most talked about, the most controversial stock. So we won't waste your time with it, but from this is from year end 21 man 1.3 billion 
active users across the ecosystem, which is an increase to 43 million in the last quarter. Like that just, those numbers boggle my mind, man. The WhatsApps and the Facebooks, you know, I think Facebook's at two plus million, uh, billion, excuse me, yep. active users, maybe even approaching three, but like, that's just so many people using this ecosystem. It's absolutely crazy to me. It's so many people and they haven't really gone international. Yeah, well, like, their international segments are growing uh, pretty significantly, but they're small. You know, it, dude, I'm not going to pretend it's a easy business to understand. They're so that's why I went back through because there's so many subsidiaries and different aspects to that business. It's a, a tough one to figure out, but gosh, it's huge. Yeah, I it, it this it, it's hard because it's so obvious. But also you have all of the the risks that we've talked about, you know, for the plenty of risks that we talked about for China for a while. Delistings come back up, et cetera. But it's like, it's so it's it's like you see this, you're looking in the window, right? At your red rifle BB gun, right? That you want for Christmas. <laughs> oh, baby. And you got your Groupon for it, right? But you might shoot your eye yeah. out. Like that's the whole thing. But oh, okay. So I didn't want to go here. This wasn't talked about in our pre-show meeting, but like we don't give investment advice on the show and this is likely to be wrong, but is the Chinese political uncertainty that comes with like a Baba holding uh, more or less now with the Russia, Ukraine stuff going on than it was six months ago. I, I can't figure it out. In some ways, it seems like that's a huge benefit um, and could be more stable. And in other ways, it feels like they could pull away and, uh, you know, if they feel like the Russian sanctions impact them negatively, they could take the t same tact that Putin's now taking calling it financial war and everything else. And then there could be retaliatory measures. And then I'm shooting my eye out. Absolutely. I think with Baba specifically, I'm not sure that they're all that related. I think there are other um, areas in China and also in, in U.S. like risk potentially because of um, of what China's actions could potentially be. But I think with BABA, I don't know. I, I think but, but the biggest risk for me with BABA, in my mind, is just the fact that um, if they are not allowed to grow, because they are, they're very inexpensive for a growth company. Like that, that's the, within that yeah. paradigm. If they are not allowed to be unleashed, then it's like not that cheap anymore, right? Because yeah, it's a very growth true. machine. It's not um, a cheap. It's not a cheap value stock. It's an incredibly cheap growth stock. Are they allowed to grow? Exactly. Can I? Can so, I? I'm gonna throw. I'm gonna throw something yeah. out. Hold up. I'm gonna throw something out because we got some listener mail about cars. Yeah. Okay, so this is all right. Yeah. So uh, thank you, John, for sending this in. And what the listener mail says it's it's another stat that we've been been throwing out stuff around used cars, you know, new cars for a few episodes now. And so the, the stat is this, the 2022 average trade-in value for a 2019 model year vehicle is 33% higher than the predetermined residual value. Bewilderment, bewilderment. The reason, so thank you, John, for sending that in. I'm bringing this up is actually, I'm going to transition into a fishbowl. I'm going to reach into the fishbowl and pull out a nickel, a five cent piece. Okay. I don't know why people are trying to spend hundred thousand dollars for a five cent piece, but anyway, but so. <laughs> The reason I bring that up, I'm relating it there, is because, uh, so nickel, if people may have heard about nickel this week a lot, right? Very rarely talked about like in the mainstream, but you may have heard about it because the price of nickel is going wild. So what is nickel? Uh, nickel is a really versatile metal. It's used in a whole lot of, a lot of stuff. 
you may not know this, but I, uh, I took a lot of chemistry back in my day. Um, and so what that allowed oh. me to do was then Google nickel and learn a bit more about it <laughs> this week. So nickel has lots and lots of applications, but two of the biggest ones are um, it's made, it's used in a lot of alloys. So stainless steel and batteries are like two of the biggest use cases that will affect yep. people's everyday lives. What is made of stainless steel and batteries? Lots of stuff, uh, but cars, <laughs> cars. So the reason that the, the connection there is last week you were talking about like financing with regard to cars and you're like, I don't know what this is going to mean yeah. for auto markets. So now we've talked about semiconductor shortages, financing, steel, batteries. I mean, this is not yep. boding well. And uh, what this triggered for me when we were talking about China right there is, and I hope for the love of Jiminy Cricket, this does not occur. But if China decides to get willy nilly with Taiwan, mm -hmm. Taiwan has 60% of the semiconductor yep. market, right? And one organization. And so like, that's the, we ain't got no cars no more. I mean, at that point, like at that point, you, you got no nickel. Hey, my Intel holding looks pretty good then. But no, it, that's a scary thought, right? If, it, gosh, pretend it's not even China. Pretend some naysayer goes, I see how valuable semiconductors are and we're in war times now and i want that to be my war asset you know like let's say let's say it's even someone like putin who's like hey i'm gonna stunt some nukes over there nearby and tell them to relinquish their semiconductor capacity to me because i just got cut off with the rest of the world like that as a strategic wartime play is a very interesting it's, it's idea. scary it's scary it's, now let me yeah. rewind a little bit nickel this week has been talked about a lot. And why is, as I mentioned, it's a very versatile metal. It's used in a whole bunch of stuff. And Russia accounted for almost 10%, 9.2% is the stat that I got of the world's yeah. total nickel production in 2021. So it's a big nickel manufacturer. And it's something like 15 to 20% were the numbers I was seeing of battery grade nickel. So going back to the batteries, cars. So anyway, but regardless, yep. Russia, big nickel producer. And so now you have all these sanctions, you have all this kind of stuff that's gone on. So Russia, not, not a Moss nickels, right? Coming out of Russia, they got no five cent pieces coming out of Russia. So therefore what that's doing is it's now driven up the price of nickel, like considerably double, more than double the price. I think 250% or something like that is like the number I was seeing. Nickel's price is going up. And so that's starting to hit. And I'm gonna, I know you saw some, some tweets, some angry tweets coming out here. So what happened was because Russia, because the price of nickel skyrocketed, um, the London Metal Exchange, which is yep. the, it's like the, if you're in the U.S. where a in lot Chicago, of like, yeah. com Chicago board, it's where a lot of uh, yeah. commodities are, are traded. They're like that, but for global base metals. Um, and so because the price was going up, there were a whole bunch of short sellers. And specifically, there was one Chinese stainless steel producer yep. that was facing something like an $8 billion paper loss because of a short position. So step back, rewind it back. Who, to who shorts January. nickel during World War Three when... Uh... Russia's a major producer. Like, explain that trade to me. They were short, just like what happened in January 2020 or January 2021 with all the uh, the meme stock stuff and the short squeeze. This has created a short squeeze situation. Eight billion dollar paper losses. The London Metal Exchange said halt the price or the the trading of nickel. So, like all the nickel um, trades that were out there, yep. they said nope, you can't trade them anymore. That's created some anger.
Oh, and massive lawsuits. That's going to take years to settle. Um, absolutely. Dougals, you know, I've been complaining about the cost of my burritos um, skyrocketing with inflation. Good news here is this week, uh, while I was traveling, I just had a couple used Duracell batteries. They don't even work anymore. They were in my TV remote. And I could just throw down two Duracell batteries and they'd hand a, back a burrito. Like the, the inflation <laughs> times are finally turning my way. Yes, so, exactly. yeah, that nickel is really valuable, man. Keep those batteries. Don't let them go. Do you know when the last time that the London Metal Exchange, the LME, halted trading of nickel? I'm going to say 1907. Never is the last time. <laughs> you, do you jerk. Remember, <laughs> do you remember the last time that the London Metal Exchange halted the trading of anything? Uh, let's go never. No, incorrect. You, you, tried, you tried to steal my last trick, but no. 1985. 1985 was the last time it, it halted anything. And it halted this item from 1985 until 1989. So for four years, it was not trading this. Cabbage Patch Kids. Close, close. <laughs> uh, tin was, was what Ooh. happened back then, yes, tin. So that was the last time. And it was much easier to pull one over, I think, people and let things kind of go under the radar. I think back in the 1980s, this is causing some controversy. Before we leave the cars thread significantly, another thing I mentioned on the show before, but if you if you really want to do a deep dive on a cheap car company, Volkswagen is a, is just a fascinating one. They've been negatively impacted with some of the Russia, um, Europe turmoil, and uh, it is so cheap right now, man. Now, you just laid out the case for why maybe it should be even cheaper because semiconductors, nickel, stainless steel, like maybe car manufacturing becomes a near impossible game in the near term, but I'll mention that. So Dougal's next. I want to yell a little. Should I yell at politicians or should I yell at university rankings? Let's yell at politicians. Okay. So it appears that many politicians went heavy into energy stocks uh, right before as a country, we formally decided to ban U.S. oil and take other restrictions that were bound to significantly increase energy prices. I, I guess on this one, I'm not even ready to yell. I'm just so depressed about it. Like, come on, guys. You're not angry. On. You're just disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've turned into a parent to these stupid <laughs> politicians. All right. Who I want to yell at is Bernie Sanders. Okay. Here's the exact tweet I want to read. Uh, this is happening a lot. Elizabeth Warren is saying something similar, but here it is. Last year, oil and gas companies made $174 billion in profits. This year, they're on track to make more. We cannot allow big oil to use Ukraine and inflation, in quotes, as an excuse to rip off Americans. I'm proud to introduce a bill to windfall uh, profits on tax, blah, 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 blah. First of all, props to Bernie. I don't think he's the guy. I don't even know if he knows how to trade stocks. I don't think he's the guy that's making a windfall on buying, you know, crude oil when he's voting to ban. So good, good for you, Bernie. I think you have the same house. And I think when he ran for president, his total worth was like 400K or something. Everyone else was multiple nice. millions of dollars. That's a good, so, like, good living. Like, good for you, Bernie. Now I want to yell at you. When, when, Oil companies take massive losses when oil prices go negative. Do you want to write them a check? You're not the Bernie. You're not the guy that wants to write them a check. When they make profits, that's when they take those profits and invest that in future exploration that finds new oil resources that actually 
allows us to bring the price of oil down, which is what you're screaming about, negatively impacting Americans. If you never let these companies make money, then you never get oil prices that are good for the growth of the American economy. This is a idiotic take in my eyes. And I see this all the time. You either so you either like make these companies part of the government and say, we're in it through the thick and thin, the lean times and the strong times, or you actually let the capitalist system work and you deal with the fact that especially like oil is it's a crazy roller coaster ride. I just I don't even have words for this take. And it's fairly well, frequent out there. The I think the the take I think is healthy. I think it's a healthy take. The application of this take, I might have other issues with. Like, where does this lead? What do we do? What does your bill say? Right? I, I, I don't know. But the reason I say the take is healthy because one of the things that I enjoy about these here United States of America is that yeah. you get people on extreme views and they can yell from whatever pulpit right they're on. And we end up with things that are like in the middle and mixed and different perspectives and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, maybe not as in the middle and not as mixed and not as different perspectives I want. But so the take, I think, is like a, I think we should be thinking as a country, right? I think someone should be saying like, are these companies, ignore oil or anything specific, Yeah. but are these companies making too much money? Are they too big? Should we be breaking them up? I think that we should. I think if if every time a company made profit, we were like, take it away, I think that's a... <laughs> Now, now I think we're that, that that's problematic. So it's like the application of it I could have some issue with, but not the conversation. Around. Uh, I'm fine with the conversation. I'm not like saying that we need to kick him off Twitter and he's not allowed to say these things. I mean, perfectly. But I, I don't know off the top of my head, but I would guess Google, Microsoft, and Apple made, if the oil companies made $174 billion, I'd guess those three companies made... 300 billion next year like he's just throwing out a number because it sounds big but d does that mean that apple shouldn't be allowed to make money just because uh the price of iphones don't fluctuate the same way well guess what the price of iphones is going up because all the raw materials for iphones have gotten significantly more expensive so when his iphone costs 500 bucks more is he going to go apple made this much in profits and they're not allowed to do it i, I don't think he's going to yeah here, here's the here's the thing that i think is very often missed as a part of this conversation and it's i'm going to pull on one one thing that you said which is around the future exploration piece which i'll just abstract out and call investment yeah right investment um, in your business or your raw materials exactly. or whatever yeah recently i was reading something that was um it was talking about how even when billionaires give they don't give enough it's like one of those kinds of stories right okay and so i'm gonna i don't remember the numbers so i'm gonna i'm gonna round here but one of the examples they brought up was there was a point where Bill Gates gave like a billion dollars. They went and Bill Gates has $60 billion. So like, what are you yeah. doing with the other 59 billion? Like you're not being that generous, right? Yeah. So th this is the argument. And the thing that I think is missed there is something that Warren Buffett, the reason that Warren Buffett stated during his whole career that he was not giving away like a single dollar, basically <laughs> until the end, like he said at the end, I will, is because he said, I can do more to create more dollars with this dollar than me giving it away. And by the end, I'll have so much more. Yep. It's called compounding, right? Something we talk yep. about a lot. And I, I think that it's what, what isn't stated many times is if, if an organization gets a pool of funds, organization or individual gets a pool of funds, and then they, they disperse that, then it doesn't turn into 
to anything else that they could give away that's bigger, right? If you go to the Bill Gates example, if Bill Gates made his first million and said, all right, here's a million dollars, then Bill Gates never gives a billion away. Yep. And there's obviously a cost benefit, right? Time value of money. There's lots of stuff that you have to throw in there to like fully analyze it, but we can't ignore that fact that investment now leads to more in the future, potentially in the right hands. This is a, a fun example. So one, I'm happy when anyone gives funds. Uh, I'm not going to be in the camp that says he gave a billion away and that's not enough. That's just not how I think. But two, I remember there's a documentary on Buffett where they break down his relationship with his first wife and kind of the falling out there. And what I remember from that is she frequently saying like, do you have enough yet? Like, can we, can we do this? And his mindset was portrayed. I assume this is true, but I guess I don't know as like, no, like it's 1987, but do you know how much this penny is going to be worth in 2022? I think he might have that to a fault, but that's why he's an incredible investor because his ability to delay gratification is probably top tier, <laughs> maybe best all time. He's always thinking about what is this going to be worth five years or 10 years down the line. And I guess I just have the perspective that you have to find a careful balance there. You can't go through life never having any fun with the money you create simply to have a bigger paycheck when you die. It, there's some middle ground there, right, Douglas? Agreed. And, and it's, I said, in the right hands because you, that you could have also taken that whatever million dollars and turned it into negative. <laughs> $1 million yeah. like and like, most people know. would to be honest exactly. with their amazing investments but i yeah i think the broader point is the the reason that gates got to the whatever it was 60 billion at the time was because he didn't give it all away at some point and so the only reason that there could be potential claim to the rest is because of that and it's important yeah. for us to, to take that to balance so um that's all i love the conversation and would probably be against the direct application of uh, bernie's tweet I think that's fair. And I, I don't expect this to get put into place. I, I don't think it's practical, but I just, I, I'm at the point where I'd like to have a beer with Bernie and go, I know you're on a crusade here, but, but do you on like, okay. So I watched that John Stewart uh, breakdown that you mentioned oh, yeah. last yep. week on the yep. stock market. And the first 15 minutes, I thought it was really funny. I laughed and, and thought it was good. But then I thought he had a, a predefined outcome that he wanted to argue for and he got a little separated from the facts in my opinion uh it was clearly like for your average invest maybe below average investor in terms of knowledge it, it, they tried to break things down down and make it really basic it's mainstream it's more mainstream at least uh than even you know some, many of the conversations that we end up having so i thought it was broken down the, to the foundational elements i think it he very clearly he even stated at some point in there i think it was after um there was a conversation with Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary that he had in there. And after the conversation, he was complaining to, they have these little breakouts in the show, if you haven't seen it, where they're in the writing room and they're like yeah. talking in the writing room. So they wanted these breakouts in the writing room and he was explaining what he, where he wanted the conversation to go and she wouldn't let him get there. <laughs> like, and he was, he was basically complaining about it. So yeah, he definitely has a, like, this is the outcome. This is the question I'm going to ask. This is the answer I want you to get to. And I'll ask yeah, the question. Yeah, that was it. He knew, he knew what the right answer was, even if uh, that got yeah. a little disconnected from the facts. But sorry, that's a, a little uh, side tangent. Are you ready to talk? Are we moving on to 
the why do women invest less than men morning star piece yeah and this one i like that this article was written first of all but it also like i think that some of the stats they they threw out which we can throw out were telling and it's kind of and i was anger inducing at, at the same time not from morning stars but like it wasn't not yeah not morning stars fault it's just like we we just gotta we gotta start treating people well i think is basically this um my takeaway so anyway Morningstar wrote this article and because they were trying to research why do women invest less than men? Their big takeaway they had was women invest less than men because they have less money than men. The investment, the uh, income gap leads to less disposable income and therefore less investing. And so they did a bunch of analysis where they started to control for certain variables because they were thinking, is it behavioral? Like, is it gender social norms that lead to this? And so as they were controlling for these different variables, they saw once you control for those, when women become higher income, they invest like the same amount as men. Yep. yep. So that part, I went, all right, solid. It's logical. Um, and the data seems to show it. So great. The stuff that started getting me real furred up was here. I'll drop a couple stats. Advisors were 40% more likely to require female investors to transfer their balance before giving them any advice. That's how, I mean, that's just how it yeah. is. Yeah. Like why? Compared it's just. It's just sexist. Yeah, it's it's ju- be better, it. guys. It's just yeah, be better. Yeah, it's just sexist. Female investors reported their advisors assume they have a low risk tolerance and are interested in sustainable funds. As a result, women are offered a, a limited set of investment options. I mean, I, let's uh, let's just turn that into the compliment it is. The the advisors see the typical forty year old male and go, "This guy's a sucker that wants to buy some derivatives and lose his shirt." <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, maybe a bad joke, but that, yeah, um, yeah that's also not fair. They, why, why would they get a different it's set of not. options? We know and, they're and better investors on average. Yes, that. they're better at running businesses. They're better investors. And that was, I don't, I don't have the, uh, the stat that they had in the article from here, but it was talking about something we've talked about a lot, overconfidence, that men typically have, are like overconfident in their, in their yeah. choices. And women will give answers that are say like, I don't know, I should go look that up. And men won't. And because men, they might guess, they'll guess correctly and guessing correctly gives you more points on the board than saying, I don't know. Um, so I'm going to give a, like a really short anecdote because this will get me too angry if I, if I give the longer version, but really short anecdote. So we have one of our uh, brokerage accounts is with Schwab, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife has her, her account going on. I've got mine going on. And as we were thinking about you know, um, looking at the Dougal's indicator and like, do we want to do buy put options? Right. Yeah. We applied for options. So with Schwab, you have to like fill out papers. Robinhood, you click a toggle. Um, Schwab, you fill out paperwork, like fax it in via, via carrier pigeon. And so we, we sent that in to Schwab. Charles Schwab calls my wife mm-hmm. and starts grilling her on what options are. And for those on- who don't know, let's call it a sophisticated financial entity instrument that your average investor probably shouldn't take part in yes yes and so there there's a part of it's the way that they i was witnessing this conversation and like the way that they were asking her these questions was just like mean right and so she because we basically trade together i mean as you can yeah people hear like i go to her i ask her for advice like we trade together and she on the phone said like my husband and i do stuff together he's right here so can we just like answer the questions together because she's i've looked have a joint conversation yep yeah so anyway so he's asking like um like how many 
uh, contracts or, or sorry, how many um, shares are like an option contract, right? And yeah. I was like, 100. And so she's like, 100, yeah. right? And he goes, I see your husband's helping you, ma'am. Are you going to be oh, trading the options or is your husband going to be trading? And so it was just so mean. And so anyway, so that was her, that was her conversation. I just got approved. I mean, it was, it was uh. so like, I was like, anyway, so I read this. That's why this, this like reading this stuff in here, I just went like it, it is, it's real. So I think that the article, we need more articles like this to like raise data. I think it's good to raise perspective. And I think you, as you said, just like be better. There's no, there's no benefit and there's only harm that we're causing to both the humans and the investment industry and our economy by doing this stuff. So just be better. Yeah, completely agree. That's a, a very frustrating story. Yeah. Let's, uh, how do you want me to cheer you up by yelling at university rankings? <laughs> you might as well yell at other people. Yeah. A lot of yelling we're doing here today. Sorry, Jim. I haven't really, I haven't really yelled yet, but I, I just might. Okay. So Columbia university is currently ranked as a second best university in the world and, uh, university rankings that shall not be my be named because it's such a scam should we do that diggles should we throw shade <laughs> no the whole need. everyone knows okay us world news and report right if you want to do a deep dive on this uh gladwell malcolm gladwell has done multiple podcasts diggles hates gladwell so he can't send anyone there but um as as dramatic as those are there's some decent facts in there this is actually hilarious we didn't talk about the gladwell stuff because we felt it was tilted this is a research paper that came out of the math department at Columbia University. Yes, it's like, is this real? Right. It's wonderful. All right, this is a, if I remember right, the professor has been there like more than a decade and sat on his hands for the longest time being like, oh, this is so great. I love this university. Look at us climb up the rankings. Everything's great. Here's the quote that accurately sums up this. Can we be sure that the data accurately reflects the reality of life within the university? Regrettably, the answer is no. Several, several key figures supporting the Columbia high rankings are inaccurate, dubious, or highly misleading. That's his take. That's like the, the overlying thing. Then he goes statistic by statistic and says, this is 18% of the rate ranking and this is class size and then he does some simple things with pulling the university phone book and doing some basic math as an example and <laughs> says the you... class size they gave is completely inaccurate yeah. and um, that inflated the rate ranking hold on you said he does some simple things this was impressive <laughs> what oh, he did he, here he did brilliant he went he went on to the internet archive which is uh it's a service that backs up websites so if you want to look at like what was facebook's homepage on April 18th of 2013, like you can go to Internet Archive. So apparently Columbia has their like class enrollment on websites, like it's public information, yep. but of course it's refreshed. So he went onto the Internet Archive and looked at every class that I think was within two schools. It was like arts and sciences and engineering or something like that. So he got the actual data that would be used in here. It was a simple, simple math after that. But I went, whoa, like you are into this professor like you were oh, yeah. trying to get he did real. this is oh, the reason i love this is one it's a takedown of his own university simply because he thinks the truth is important and two it is so well thought out is it perfect probably not is it a thousand times better than u.s news and world report yes absolutely so he looks at facility with terminal degrees which is basically an advanced degree 
and says the number that they reported is incorrect. And the numbers they reported, Diggles, are always inflated to the high side. <laughs> they never reported incorrect, which is why they're ranked as the number two school. He looks at spending on instruction. It looks like they actually brought in some medical st- school spending that isn't actually being spent on instruction that uh, significantly skewed that number. He looks at student-faculty ratio. I mean, it just goes on and on. Fascinating breakdown. But the takeaway here, which is so important, is he says, don't so-called fix the model. Don't uh, audit the numbers. Just understand that educating people is something you can't really judge quantitatively. And when you get into that approach, you create misleading, inaccurate perceptions that do more harm than good. And I think that's absolutely the right takeaway. The thing about the Gladwell piece is he talks about the financial benefit to U.S. News and World Report. This is one of the most popular things that they sell is the university rankings with anxious parents of 17-year-olds trying to figure out where to send their son or daughter. But it's not doing anyone any good. And I don't know. It's just a frustrating topic to me. I've seen the ramifications across the board and i don't think it's equitable it is a racket like the whole thing is just a racket i'm 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 in agreement with him and the u.s news and world report like the things that they they weight and how they weight them and the quality of the data that they use in which they weight them i mean the whole it's just a business like there's there's like no there's no social good there's no social good until the school that you go to is ranked highly and then you're like see See how smart I am. Then there's some social good for me. There's not even social you know? good in that. No, I'm, I I'm mean, joking. I'm, just, I'm joking. No, that, that's I, the only benefit. Is it's like it's a vanity thing that you can point to. Mm-hmm. Um, but and uh, I mean, before you, his breakdown doesn't even get into some of the other flaws with their ranking system, where a lot of it is I forget how they word it, but it's basically peer reputation, and so they'll just have random college administrators be like, "Oh, I think Columbia is a good school. Like, put it up here." I've oh, heard Harvard before. It must be a good school. Yeah. It, it's complete. And then that's a self-perpetuating cycle of like, well, the ranking said that this was a good school. So I've heard of this school. So my perception exactly. is this school's better. And you've never even set foot on campus. You don't know. You don't even know what the campus looks like, let alone if they provide a quality education. That's a large majority of the ranking system. And then the rest of the hogwash is completely made up numbers that are fabulous. I mean, is yeah. no trash. He what he did was a solid breakdown of the integrity of data for one particular school. But regardless, that's what he did. He didn't even hit on the like discriminatory nature of it. The like self-reinforcing like elements of the ranking. He, he didn't even hit on those points. He did a takedown with hitting on only like half the, 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 uh, the badness, right. Which is, it's, it's just, it's really, really stupid. Yeah. Speaking and of stupid rankings. <laughs> Move it on. Let's yeah. go. No, last month, we're still staying with colleges, though. So last month, Georgetown came out with a new ranking system of their own. Did you see this? Wait, wait. They rank colleges? Now they do for the first time. So Georgetown created, it's like an ROI ranking. I can send this over to you. And so they just said, we just want to look at what is the ROI of going to this school, pure and simple. So they looked at the, uh, the expenditures. So estimated amount that you would spend on like tuition and books and all that stuff minus financial aid yep. and then income. I think it was like, like 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years later. And just said, what is your, 
if you went to the school, the main thing they they main they listed all those, but the main one they looked at was forty years, because um, mm-hmm. I guess they're saying like that's like a career, um, and so they just said if you go to this school, what is your forty year ROI, and that is that's the whole ranking. Um, I think this is great because our school is in the top ten percent according to this ranking, so it must be good. Yeah, but the uh, yeah, but it's it's like another going back to the other guy's point, like it's another ranking. It's looking at one way. What it doesn't look at is like, what is my quality of living when I'm on the school? Like, how do I feel? Does it fit what's important to me? Like, it doesn't touch on all that. Yeah. But at least it it doesn't claim to. It just says uh, like it actually sounds better. I mean, yeah. there's still flaws and I could rattle off a bunch off the top of my head. Like the people that have now been in a 40 year career paid for school 40 years ago. And I don't know if over the last 40 years, the cost of tuition has increased 17 fold. Well, you know, like the, the, that variability in time is really hard to account for. The salary figures I'm sure are self-reported, which has some challenges, but hey, it's better than the garbage at US News and World Report. There's no doubt about that. I was, I was joking before, but I do think that what happens with these rankings is an individual school or an individual person goes and they look up their institution and they judge the quality of the ranking based on where their school falls. Oh, and don't pretend that doesn't have massive massive ramifications for recruiting professors to your school or recruiting students to your school. I mean, I think growing your endowment, like everything, there's There's real ramifications. Big money. I can tell you, um, well, I shouldn't say this 100%, but if I was an administrator filling out my school, I would be very, very tempted to lie. And I'm not a person that's big into lying, but I don't know that I see much downside when you know that the rankings are complete hogwash anyway. It feels like I just say, yeah, my uh, faculty to student ratio is one. Yep, we're the best in the world. Here we go. Alas. Shaking your head over there, Douglas. I'm going to dip into the fishbowl. You ready? All right. So Ryan Cohen, who... Our pod listeners might remember we talked about Robin or Ryan Cohen a little over a year ago when we were covering the GameStop uh, elements. Yes. Ryan Cohen was a co-founder of Chewy, which is the the new pets.com. Basically, you order stuff online, you get stuff for your yeah, pets. Yeah, the maybe successful pets.com. Yeah, potentially successful pets.com. Um, he left there and then went, he was part of the whole GameStop saga, took a position there, took a board seat there, GameStop went through the roof. He's at it again, people. He's at it. And by at it, I mean investing. It was disclosed that Ryan Cohen has a 9.8% stake in Bed Bath & Beyond, mm-hmm. another retailer. Bed Bath & Beyond, that after that disclosure, went up at some point, it was like 70% up overnight yeah. after that yeah. news. I, Dougals, I Sir Dougals, I was like, that seems like a lot. Like 70% just seems like a lot. <laughs> So I couldn't quite figure out like exactly why, like at least, at least with GameStop, I'm not saying it made a lot of sense, but I was like, you're taking an analog business and taking it digital. And maybe people had seen he did that with Chewy. And so we want to do the GameStop. I don't know. I, I was, it was being real. Loose. So that, that was the story. But I think what was really happening with GameStop is uh, you had retail investor excitement trying to find any story to buy the thing that was different than almost any other stock in the last 20 years. So I got that. That made sense. Bed Bath & Beyond is not GameStop. So 
Yeah, so I'm, I'm at a loss. And then I saw this. On social media Monday, individual investors cheered the news of Mr. Cohen's stake. Mr. Cohen has built a loyal band of followers on Reddit and Twitter. In part, and then this is, this is why, this is where the investment thesis comes in. In part, due to his cryptic tweets that frequently go viral online. You're messing with me now? That, I, get, that's the I get it now. <laughs> it has nothing to do with business at all. All you have to do, take a 10% stake in a company and write tweets that don't make any sense. And between the two of those things, your stock goes viral. Man, some oh, of these man. guys Put your have, 10Ks uh... down. Put your 10Ks down. <laughs> stop reading the 10Ks and start crafting Emperor's New Clothes style tweets that don't make any sense. <laughs> All right, I follow. I won't try and have an intelligent No, you can't. There's, there's nothing there. <laughs> I was like, I'm reading about this. And I was like, okay, it's building up. It's building up. I'm going to get the answer. I'm going to get the answer. <laughs> and I didn't. I, did. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't because there is no answer. The Emperor has you know, new clothes. You know what happens to me, uh, I don't know, like three times a year, I click on some article and I'm like really trying to take it in, figuring out what uh, the author's trying to tell me. And then about halfway through, I go, this article was written by artificial intelligence and there's absolutely nothing of value here. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the way we're headed. It's like yeah. people just regurgitating information with hot takes. That could be it. <laughs> All right. What's in your fishbowl? All right. Quiz for you. Give me the top reasons why people quit their job in 2021. Uh, they're going to retire, early retirement, because they ha have enough money, all their cryptocurrencies. Um, their boss sucks. Um, Pay was too low. All right. I get it. That's 63% of people had that as a major reason or a minor reason they quit. Mm. So, hey, I guess that's good because I assume they found uh, better Hopefully. paying opportunities. Hopefully. Right? No opportunities for advancement. Again, right out of the standard playbook. I don't think anything different is happening. This third one kind of makes me sad. Uh, felt disrespected at work. Like that's 57% of respondents. This is Pew Research are saying that played a role in them leaving. It, again, just treat people nice. Um, yeah. yeah. And then childcare is next. That makes me sad, especially in the COVID world, because like I understand how tough of a situation that is. And then flexibility of work, flexibility of hours is next. So those 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 things make sense. Saddening, right? As you mentioned, makes sense. I think there there's an overarching, maybe not theme, but like truth. I think that our belief that also has to exist um, that comes along with those is optionality. Like they yeah. have optionality and those things are true because there are probably times where those things are true and you're like, but this is what I got, you know, like this is like, this is kind of it, which is also has its own sadness. But I think the, um, the labor market exists right now such that you have choice, which is good. I like that spin. So it's kind of sad that that many people feel disrespected at work, but at least they have the ability to get a job where maybe they'll be treated in a better fashion. Putting a bow on it. I like it, Douglas. All right. What's next for you? All right. I have a quiz for you as well. So as I mentioned before, I'm on the hunt. Douglas is on the hunt. Uh, there, are, there are deals to be found out there. There haven't been in quite a while, I think. So I'm, I'm hunting. Where this quiz comes from is just a, a, a tiny part of the hunting. So there are about, we give a little background context, so it could be helpful for you. There are about 5,500 individual stocks. 
that trade on U.S. exchanges. So not like ETFs, mutual funds, any of that, but like individual companies, right? Yep. About 5,500 total. Of those, about 1,100 are non-U.S. based companies. Okay. So I was looking at, I'm looking at international stuff and seeing like what's happening in other other countries around um, the world. And we were talking before around how it's really only in certain markets. You can really only buy like the stocks through ETFs because most of them don't trade in the U.S. as individual stocks. So it's hard to go at them individually, but I was trying. So I was looking at who they were. So there are about 1,100 of them. So what I did was I was looking at uh, where stocks are relative to their 52-week high, just to start getting a sense. And the quiz I have for you is, if you look at just the countries that have at least 10 stocks that are trading okay. on U.S. exchanges. So I'm getting rid of the ones that there's like a stock here or two stocks there. So they have at least 10 stocks that trade in the U.S. Looking at the median of the amount that they're off their 52-week high, what do you think the top five countries are? So basically the median worst performing like countries with stocks that are trading in the U.S. Oh, man, you're... Uh... <laughs> I see a shovel behind you. You you are like deep in this hole. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of qualifying factors to this. Yeah, there we go. He's disappearing. Uh, I mean, Russia, Ukraine is where I'd start. I'm not sure if Ukraine would reach, reach that critical mass to have 10 companies. Mm. Is Russia one of them? Nope. Really? Yeah. Okay. So then um, these I, it was are actually ADRs. surprising to me. It was surprising and, to me at how like uh, there just there aren't a lot of countries that have a large number of companies that trade directly on our exchanges. That's that's like the thing. Uh, yeah, it, very true. And I've always taken the like ETF approach where they own the Japanese yeah. shares. And I think again for your large large majority of investors, if you're doing something like that, that's probably the right approach. Number one is easy. Don't don't overthink it. Number one is easy. A country that has a large number of stocks that trade here that's gotten hit very hard. China. Yeah. China's number one. Okay. That, is Japan on that list? Japan's not. Um, See, so I think this is more about having 10 independent companies. It, than it's, a, it's, else. A, it's a big part of it because there are some where, like, it's down by the median is down by 92%, and there's one company that trades. I think Japan is something like, I can't remember. It was something like a, it was close. It might even be 10, but the median down was like 35% or something like that. But China is negative 81% is the median off the 52-week high. Negative 81%. I'll just go yep. through the rest because hey, it's, it's hard. I, to... Hold on. I started the oh. show with 82% and, and we're there. There it, we are. It's going to cover. Yeah, what are the rest? Um, so in order, it's China, Denmark, Hong Kong, Israel, Germany. So China has 239 companies <laughs> that are trading that trade in the U.S. High that number. Are, yeah, really uh, with the VIE structure and and the, they're not even ADRs. They're the ADSs. Uh, it's, yeah, it's okay. In, Israel has a like 100. 100. Well, Israel's uh, startup in tech scene is, is solid, but I never would guess that 100. Wow. Yeah, down, median down 61%. Israel. Yeah, it's, it's interesting actually looking at the, at the companies. Um, it was pretty fascinating. So of these, I found there are either four or five, something like that, companies that I'm about to dig into a little bit further to see if I, if I want to get into it. It's interesting. So one to drop that. The number, the biggest thing, which is what you pointed out, is that this opened my eyes more so even to how few 
individual stocks from other countries, right? Or traded in the US. And so then you start to get ETFs. But the thing with ETFs is you can't you can't get to the same level of precision, which maybe maybe yeah. most most people shouldn't, and maybe even Dougal shouldn't, right? But um, I like that in the US, right? Like I like digging into the company itself, like reading the um, their annual reports and their quarterly reports, and like getting to understand what does this company do and where are they investing, and so that's what that's what gets pretty interesting. Um, but there are a couple gems, potential gems in there. I hear you. That I mean, the international stuff is so much cheaper. The geopolitical exchange rate, political risk that comes with those things makes it a more challenging and complex equation. Sometimes that, sometimes all three of those things. Uh, turn in your favor and then it's really really solid but i've definitely had situations where like the stock's been performing well and the exchange rate went the opposite direction and like the stock did nothing for me when the company made tons of money you know it's a very complex piece of the pie speaking of that i saw something this week i don't really know where it fits but i sometimes forget how much investment china is making in africa yeah and i saw a graphic this week that that clearly outlined that and that's also like geopolitically interesting to talk about because if it ends up being kind of this half of the world and that half of the world end up picking sides we think china's probably more likely to stick on the russian side of things and does that potentially mean that significant parts of africa are on that side as well um it's just something i forget about but there's going to be ramifications of that in the next 20 years it takes me back to there was this book i read probably 20 years ago something like that maybe not quite 15 to 20 years ago uh, called the confessions of an economic hitman you ever read that no yeah so uh, the book was about it was basically Mm -hmm. this guy who talked about how he was an economic hitman for the u.s and so he would work for um U.S. consulting companies, like a Bechtel, for example, which is right. And um, the economic hitman part was we would choose a country that we, I'm I'm oversimplifying here, but you basically choose a country that you want to own. You go and do a bunch of stuff like build infrastructure in that company or in that country. Country. That country then is put into debt because they can't afford the infrastructure. But you're like, we'll give you, we'll give you good good terms on debt. Yeah, this is they good can't for repay humanity. The debt. Don't exactly. worry about it. We'll, we'll work it out. Yeah, precisely. They can't repay the debt and you go, okay, we'll forgive it. But now we own you. Like that yep. is that was like the and that this was his job was to work for consulting companies that would go into other countries and do infrastructure projects, put them into a lot of debt and then own them. And so when I I don't know what China exactly is doing, how these deals are structured, what kind of investment this is. But when you start to think about um, influence, right in the new world, what we've stated post-World War II was in Europe, you cannot take another country by military force. Russia is doing that, right? We've said, no, no, no. But there yeah. isn't something that says, you, and China isn't even a part of that, right? But there isn't something that says you can't take a country by economic persuasiveness, right? Or so to speak. And so this, yes. it's how empires, like financial empires can be built in that way, kind of under the radar. Like you can see, you can see that's happening, but you don't know exactly what's happening. Um, and so it, it made me think a lot about that. I, I think that's a great story. And I, part of me wonders, I actually know we have some people with political expertise in this area that listen to the show who spent time in Africa. So maybe we'll get some listener mail on it, or maybe this 
is just a rabbit hole that we don't want to go down. But part of me has always wondered why the U.S. Uh, doesn't seem more interested in. I don't want to call it like being an economic hitman, but maybe sustainably supporting um, financial infrastructure projects in Africa, knowing that uh, the ability to work together in the future comes with that. That's kind of the optimistic take of your uh, of that book. I, I don't understand why we're not more willing to do that and do know that China's financial interests in that part of the world are going to be a factor um, because that's a, a growth part of the world and a rapidly developing part of the world in the next 20 to 30 years. I think there's a lot of promise in Africa. So I think yep. there'll be bigger players in the world economic game, but in all parts of kind of... Mm-hmm the scene going forward agreed agreed what else you got i think that's it man jam-packed today yeah can i can i leave us with one other thing though one quick yes please because i've been talking about staying invested right i didn't take (laughs) it to i didn't take it to this level though i didn't take it to this level there's this recent research report that came out of uh, bca and what they said (laughs) were two things so one is there's a 10% chance of a civilization ending nuclear event in the next 12 months. So this, this was their statement. Okay. The takeaway that yeah, pretty high, pretty high. No, no, 10%. No. Okay. They're, but their takeaway from this, this is an investment research report. So their investment takeaway from this was the risk of Armageddon has risen dramatically. Stay bullish on stocks over the 12 month horizon. I didn't go nearly that that far. Like I was just like, you should stay invested because it's better to be in on those, those days. They're like, the world's going to end. You do not sell out of your position. How dare you sell out of your position? But I thought it was kind of funny. How many nukes have to get dropped for it to be a civilization ending event? I don't know, but whatever that number is, they have it. They, and, and they say it's 10%. 10% chance of it happening. Yeah, I so. think they hired the the yahoos at us news and world report do their analysis on that one (laughs) i mean come on who even someone like putin who's probably has a spy at my house right now um like he doesn't want to die he why would like he wants to kill himself (laughs) it's it's like this is taking a turn Somewhere um, on those nuclear codes, it says, like, don't watch more than 300 of these things or you die. I would yeah, hope, yeah. right? <laughs> exactly. Oh, my goodness. All right. All right. That's a Stay wrap. in your lane. I, we, yeah, we hope, uh, hopefully we can make you laugh with some of this. The world stuff is going, that's going on is pretty serious, and hopefully this is a nice break for you guys. If you enjoy the show, hit skippydoogles.supercast.com. Become a premium subscriber. We love our premium subscribers. That really helps the show out. We also love reviews. If you've been enjoying the show, hit five stars on Apple Podcasts. That really helps more people find the show. And uh, you can find all things Skippy Doogles, including social media links and stuff on skippydoogles.com. Did I miss anything, buddy? We good? All good. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks.